Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're listening to Talking France, a podcast from the local about France and the French presidential election. French voters will head to the polls for the first round of voting on Sunday and the election race has suddenly become very interesting, which means we've got a lot to talk about. On this week's episode, I'll run through the latest polls, news and talking points with the local France's editor, Emma Pearson. We'll also look at what actually happens on polling day and why people in France will be glued to their TV screens at 8pm. Our political columnist John Litchfield will once again be with us. John has long believed that Emmanuel Macron will be re-elected, but does he now have reason to doubt his prediction given the latest developments? I also asked John what France would be like under a Marine Le Pen presidency. And this week we also spoke to political analyst Mujtaba Rahman about why this election matters far beyond the borders of France. And of course language. If you want to learn some handy French words and phrases then stay with us till the end. We've a lot to fit in, so let's get straight on. Now, let's bring in Emma. Emma, good to have you with us again. How are you? I'm fine. Do you want to do any small talk or should we just get going? Enough of the small talk. We've got stuff to talk about this week. It is. There's a lot to talk about. Well, it's kind of, there is a lot to talk about, but it's really focused on one issue. One point is that can Marine Le Pen win the election? Why am I asking you that, Emma? Because of the latest polls over the last week. Can you just bring us up to date on what those polls are? Yeah, the first round polls are still largely following the same pattern that they have been all the way through. But Marine Le Pen is definitely narrowing the gap between her and Macron. So you've got um, Macron's fallen slightly to around 28%. Marine Le Pen has gained a couple of points and is now on 22. So he's still ahead, but less comfortably than he was a couple of weeks ago. Then going a bit further down, we've got Jean-Luc Mélenchon still just about in contention on 15, 16%. And both Valérie Pécresse and Eric Zemmour continue to fall in around 10%. But... The thing that's got everybody talking is the second round poll. That's the interesting thing this week. So it's been predicted for months that it's going to be Macron and Le Pen who get the highest number of votes in the first round and therefore go through to round two. So pollsters have also been asking people, as well as who they'll vote for in the first round, who they would vote for in a hypothetical head-to-head between Macron and Le Pen in the second round. And it's always been a pretty comfortable win for Macron in these scenarios. But over this last week, things have got a lot tighter there. And there was one IFOP poll which had Macron on 53% and Le Pen on 47%. The other polls were showing a slightly larger gap, but still quite a close result. So that's the thing that's got people talking. And it has, you know, the last few days of this election race has seen much more talk about the second round vote. It's almost taken for granted now that the first round is kind of almost done. You know, Melanchon has had a rise, but he's not going to make it. It looks like the momentum is with Marine Le Pen, as you say. We should say, just to add a couple of caveats, Macron is, you know, around 28%. I saw a quote from his advisor saying a month ago, Macron's team would have taken this. You know, he, he was on 25% for a long time. When he announced his candidacy, he, he shot up to about 30%. But he would have taken 28%. Uh, Marine Le Pen probably would have taken second place, 22%. But it really is this second round poll 
that has got everybody talking. Now, you know, if we look at kind of why people are suggesting Macron is in danger, I picked up the Journal du Dimanche today, which is kind of France's main Sunday paper. It laid out the 10 dangers for Macron. Let me run through them very quickly for you, Emma. They are the cost of living crisis. They are the McKinsey scandal, which is this use of private consultants. It is Macron's lack of campaigning, which is kind of seen as a major criticism for him. He's argued that he's been dealing with the war and indeed the cost of living crisis. It's his image of him as a president. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast before. The fact that so many in France still don't like Macron. It's the threat of Le Pen. Number six, the risk of abstention, which we've talked about before. The low turnout, which is seen to kind of favour Marine Le Pen, perhaps. Will that be taken through to the second? round. There is trouble in Corsica. There has been recent violence in the suburbs. There's rumours about Macron's hidden wealth. And there's the fact that his actual programme, you know, his, his policies for the next five years aren't seen as very attractive, you know, raising the pension age to 65 and, and various other economic policies that are seen as a bit to the right, not much to the left. If we look at those 10 reasons laid out in Le Journal de Dimanche, is there one or two that, that we think, uh, you know, genuinely could cause problems for Macron? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the cost of living, obviously, is is the big thing. But I think there's a couple of things there that kind of make this problem worse for Macron. There's, as you say, there's his image, which still remains that he's remote, he's arrogant, he's the president of the rich, and that people who are struggling with bills just don't feel particularly that he cares. Even though actually his government has done quite a lot already, more than many other European governments have done to try and ease this crisis for people, but it's the image that he has. And I think also that plays into his sort of lack of campaigning, that he might say he's got very good reasons for running a slightly muted campaign this year, there's the war in Ukraine, but again it's seen as being arrogant, that he's just assuming he's going to win, that he doesn't care. So I think it's kind of a combination of these things. Now, we talk about Macron campaigning. On Saturday, he held his first and only mass election rally uh, in a kind of stadium to the west of Paris, La Défense Arena. It was big, it was brash, it was noisy. Macron entered the, the, the auditorium like a, you know, a boxer. He was in the centre like in a ring and he spent over two hours kind of defending his record, attacking the extreme right. And he really, you know, it, was this enough? Is this enough? This is the kind of first time we've seen Macron in this kind of situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was an event for the party faithful. So, I mean, I don't think it would have converted anyone particularly to who wasn't going to vote for him before. But I spoke to a couple of people who were there and they said, you know, he was very well received by the crowd, that they were very enthusiastic, they were very hyped up about it. And these are the people who are going to be campaigning for Macron back in their own communities. And his message to them was basically, mobilisation, c'est maintenant. Something like that in yeah. French. You know, basically he wants them out on the streets campaigning. Yeah, basically he was saying, don't get cocky. We've, uh, we've not won this. Yeah, the, the idea of being too complacent. He knows he needs these people out there campaigning for him. Emma, we were at the British Embassy this week talking with the ambassador and other Anglo journalists, you know, and we started talking about whether France is, is heading for this moment that we had in, in Britain after the Brexit vote where you kind of wake up and it's just a shock. Where did this, where did this vote come from, you know, for, for, um, for many people? And it's not just us talking about it. Macron at his campaign rally on Saturday alluded to the same thing. Yeah, he did. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, he was basically telling his team, don't get, don't take anything for granted. He was talking about the dangers of extremism. I'll just read out what he said, which was, the danger of extremism has reached new heights because in recent months and years, hatred and alternative truths have been normalised. We've got used to seeing anti-Semitic and racist authors on TV shows. But he then went on with a more specific point, which is, look at what happened with Brexit and so many other elections. What seemed improbable actually happened. Nothing is impossible. And Marine Le Pen is kind of pushing that same message. I just picked up a couple of her quotes 
from the campaign trail. She said, what people said was the automatic re-election of Emmanuel Macron turned out to be fake news. It is perfectly possible to defeat Emmanuel Macron. I mean, we'll have to see about that. She's kind of talking there as though it's all it's done. But she says, we feel it on the ground. There is a great dynamic, a hope that is emerging as the campaign nears its end. She clearly believes that she does have a chance of beating Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you can say, well, yeah, she would say that. But we've seen quite a few people within the Macron campaign as well say it, that uh, Edouard Philippe, the former Prime Minister and Macron supporter, he was asked about it and he said, uh, bien sûr, Marine Le Pen peut gagner. Yes, of course Marine Le Pen can win. So it's not just her saying it. Now I'm going to bring in our political columnist, John Litchfield here, who joins us on the line from Normandy. John, like most analysts in France, has long thought Emmanuel Macron was almost certain to win. But does he now believe these latest polls suggest Marine Le Pen has a chance of being France's next president? Well, um, she is in some polls within, what, five points in in, in the second round polling, uh, which is only just outside the margin of error. There are other polls showing her 10, 12 points behind him still. Obviously, news being news, people focus on the polls showing her to be Closer, and she is getting closer. The race has become interesting and exciting in a way it wasn't until two or three weeks ago. I think, yes, there's always an accident possible if the wrong people, in my point, in my point of view, someone would much rather Macron be re-elected for all his failings rather than see Le Pen elected, um, accidents can happen. Macron's support may not turn out. The left may abstain in huge quantities. And it's just possible to imagine now Le Pen winning, which was not, I don't think, until now. Last time in 2017, I said along, there's no way Le Pen can win this. This time I've said that more or less all along. Now I have a slight doubt, but only a slight doubt. I still think Macron will win. And just a word about these polls. Do we need to take them with a pinch of salt when they're based on what people are asked about, who they're going to vote for before the first round has even been run, before the two candidates who are going to face off in that second round are even have even been decided? I think you're right. I think that the first round polling at this stage can be regarded as pretty accurate, especially if you take an average of all the dozens of polls, it seems, in France, more and more all the time. If you take an average of those, it seems to be Macron's on 27, 28 in the first round and, and Marine Le Pen on 20, 21, 22, and those two will get through. The second round is, is a kind of different campaign in a way. It has its own dynamics and often can be affected by the first round result rather than polling. If someone does better than expected in the first round, even slightly better, that can give them momentum into the second round. Thanks, John. And we'll hear plenty more from you on the twists and turns that could still happen in the race, as well as what would France be like if Marine Le Pen won? Just a reminder to our listeners, this podcast is only possible thanks to those who've supported us by becoming members of The Local. It takes time and resources to produce our independent journalism. If you're not yet a member but would like to join, you can find a practically irresistible price for your first month by visiting thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. The identity of the next president is obviously of crucial importance in France, but what does it mean for the EU, Europe and the wider world? Our editor, Emma, spoke to political analyst with the Eurasia group, Mujtaba Rahman, about why this French election matters to everyone beyond France's borders. Is it fair to say that the French election has a, an extra dimension where it's important for, for Europe and for the world at large? I'd say that's correct. Um, the actual election in terms of outcome is probably quite boring, um, just given the lineup and given the performance of Valérie Pécresse, who I think we long believed 
a, a credible candidate from the centre-right would be Macron's most important challenger. She's obviously not performed. And as a result, I think it will it will be an easy win for Macron on the 10th, probably facing Le Pen on the 24th. So the outcome of the election is, I don't think, um, uh, that uncertain. But the implications, both domestic and certainly for Europe, are very profound. Why, why should people care about the French election if they're not in France? Well, I think Macron is Europe's de facto leader. He is Europe's de facto wartime president. If you look around the rest of Europe, uh, there's nobody really one can point to with the level of experience, original thinking, credibility that Emmanuel Macron brings to the table. And so a Macron term two, I think, will be very important for his view and vision of Europe and his ability to sell those ideas to other European leaders and to try and advance those leaders over the course of his second term. There's not really anybody, as, as Emmanuel Macron, who's likely to deliver a fairly robust, coherent majority in Parliament with the domestic support, as I say, the experience, the vision, the credibility that, that Macron will bring to the table in a second term. And so he will really lean into this debate in Europe, I think, in a way no other leader can. You know, obviously, as you say, Macron has very much emerged as the, the de facto leader of Europe. Do you think that's to do with circumstances that, as you say, the German Chancellor Schultz is new, Angela Merkel's gone, she's left a bit of a vacuum? Or is it to do with Macron himself, with his, his skills, his personality, his interests? I think it's more to do with Macron himself. I mean, when Macron came to power in 2017, very early in his first term, he articulated at the Sorbonne, a set of ideas around Europe and the future of Europe that I think for the first time represented a really coherent vision for the EU, how he sees the development of Europe, how he sees the role of Europe in the world. Macron is a very original thinker when it comes to Europe. I mean, he really, I think, stands head and shoulders above all the other leaders. Even, even Angela Merkel, I don't think, was a particularly strategic thinker about the future direction and evolution of Europe. She was very reactionary and very incremental in the way she went about advancing policy. I think, if anything, Macron's problem is is less with the ideas and the vision and more on the implementation. How do you see, if Macron is re-elected, which does seem pretty likely, um, how do you see the next five years playing out on a European scale? What do you think he'll want to do and what do you think he'll actually manage to do? Well, the first and the most important question, I think, before we can think about what Macron does in Europe is his ability to develop a coherent majority that would allow him to reform domestically, because his credibility in Berlin and in other capitals in part will rest on him doing a bunch of things domestically on the reform side um, that in turn create more space for him in other EU capitals, right? So I think... um, the outcome of the parliamentary elections on the 12th and 19th of June will be quite important in delivering Macron a coherent majority and vehicle through which he can then implement domestic reform, whether that's to pensions, and whether it's in terms of overall fiscal consolidation. Those things and others will be important for his ability to reinforce his platform in other EU capitals. In terms of the European conversation, I think there are two or three legs. One, one of course, will be uh, this idea of, I mean, call it strategic autonomy, but it's probably unhelpful to label it strategic autonomy, but it's effectively the idea of for Europe that's more self-sufficient and capable of using hard power to advance its values and interests in the world. And the way we'll need to do that will both be through the development of more tangible hard power to develop a real 
cross-border market for procurement of arms. And then to do more on the fiscal policy side, where I think Macron sees the um, creation of the 750 billion pandemic rec- uh, COVID recovery fund as a, as, a, as a vehicle through which Europe can move forward and fulfill um, investments in the areas that uh, the EU needs to needs needs to strategically invest in. How important is a politician's strength at home um, to the other European leaders? I mean, if Macron ends up with a not very strong parliament, if he ends up struggling in France to pass his uh, reforms, if there's widespread protests along the lines of uh, a second gilet jaune, does that kind of thing affect how European leaders see another leader? It will, firstly, because it will distract Macron himself. He'll be more focused on the domestic context and managing domestic issues. And so that will necessarily subtract from his time, attention, focus, ability to advance these very difficult issues in Europe that will require tremendous effort, focus and the need to build consensus. And and secondly, yes, of course, you know, in order for him to, 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 to push Europe forward, he will need domestic political space. Looking ahead to 2027, a lot of people are predicting that that will be the year that France does get a far-right president. Uh, some people have told us that that would basically mean the end of the EU. Do you agree with that? Is France that important, that if it elected someone like Marine Le Pen, who is hostile to the EU, that would be the end of the European project or not so it much? Would be the end of, it would be the end of the European project as we know it. I mean, ultimately... Uh, Marine Le Pen or an Eric Zemmour or a Marion Maréchal or whoever it would be in the Elysee would be constrained by Parliament, but as the French head of state would obviously attend the European Council and has a tremendous amount of executive discretion and agency to do lots of things that the rest of Europe would be very concerned about. And so, yes, I think it would be a profound shock and an existential crisis to the European Union. I think that's absolutely right. You know, France and Germany are part of the EU's geopolitical core. And if one of them did, a, if, if, if France were to elect a far-right president, then I think, yes, it would, it would ultimately be a massive, massive shock. The local France has over 10,000 members. Their contributions help us grow our coverage of France and allow us to produce this podcast. If you'd like to join at a discount price, visit www.thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. The process of choosing France's next president will begin on Sunday when the first round of voting takes place. After weeks and even months of gruelling campaigning, the 12 candidates in the first round will now answer to the voters. So what can we expect on the day itself and when will we know the result? Well, polling stations open everywhere at 8am. In most places they close at 7pm, although in the big cities like Paris, Bordeaux, Nice, uh, they have the option to extend theirs to 8pm and most of them have taken that. So you've got either 11 or 12 hours to vote, depending on where you are. Then at 8pm the polls close everywhere and an exit poll is released. So... If you're used to following elections in the UK, you might be used to like all night election results. Uh, In the US, you might be used to four days and four nights of election results. But in France, it doesn't really happen like that. What happens is that at 8pm, you get this extremely accurate exit poll. And that basically tells you the result. It tells you who's going through to the next round. You get a provisional score with the candidates with their share of the vote. And that does get tweaked slightly as the night goes on and the full count comes in. And then on Monday morning, the Interior Ministry releases the full results. Emma, when we say exit poll, it's not actually an exit poll. People being asked who they voted for as they come out of the the polling booth. It is based on actual votes itself. It's a a count of, of, of a certain number of votes, a projection. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a sort of representative sample of early votes. So it's done by quite a complicated formula. Obviously, this is France, everything is complicated. But what they do is they basically select a number of polling stations across the country and they're picked to be a diverse representation of town, country, north, south, east, west, blah, blah, blah. They select these polling stations and then once polling closes, they then start counting the votes. And at these selected polling stations, once they've counted the first 100, 200 or 400 votes, depending on the size of the commune, mm. they then phone those through to the polling organisation for their results. The polling organisation then aggregates these, puts all of these together, and that's how they get these 8pm results. Indeed, and the polling agencies have hundreds of people working for them on the day, you know, count again these initial votes to them, the projections, so they can get it out to TV viewers at 8pm. It used to be a lot easier for them because polling stations around the country, apart from in the big cities, used to close at 6. They now close an hour later, so they really kind of face a race against the clock. I remember there is a, the, the funny thing of, I remember this in 2012, when the results come out earlier, or they're published earlier in foreign countries. France has a strict law that you can't publish any of these results before 8pm. However, those that law doesn't apply in Belgium or Switzerland, for example, for their websites. So you often get these situations where journalists know the results often before most members of the public, unless people are searching on Twitter, etc. But, you know, at 8pm, we expect to get these two faces on the TV screen, probably Marine Le Pen and Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, probably. There are a couple of sort of caveats if it's a very close result, so that what normally happens is that they just give out the uh, the two candidates who are going through to the second round and their provisional scores. If the results are very close, however, they've got a couple of options that sometimes if it's just a very close race between two people, they'll put out the two people who've got through to the second round, but not scores. So you don't know who's who's first and who's second, but you do know that it's obviously pretty much neck and neck. If it's very close between three candidates, then they don't put it out. But it looks pretty unlikely that that will happen this time. Now, we've got a question from Claire in Tarn et Garonne. Thanks for sending this in, Claire. Claire just kind of pointed out the fact that when French voters go into the booths, there are, I mean, it's slightly different perhaps in, in polling stations across the country, but they are faced with kind of a row of the uh, little bits of paper with the kind of names and, and faces perhaps of, of the candidates, and voters have to pick one or two or three. Apparently, they're meant to pick a minimum of two. They then go into the booth and they put, their chosen candidate in a, an envelope, which is then kind of filed as their vote. This seems like an enormous waste of paper, says Claire. And it is really, isn't it? It's a terrible waste of paper. She's absolutely right. Um, I really have no idea why they don't do it on just one single ballot paper. The idea of having all of the different bits of paper is obviously to show you, make sure everybody knows who the candidates are. And the idea of picking a minimum of at least two is to keep your vote secret so that the people at the polling station can't see who you're voting for. Um, but there are obviously other ways of doing that without wasting thousands of trees. It's a bit of a wasteful time of year for paper anyway, really, when you think of all those posters that get put up only to be torn down, defaced, all those leaflets that you're handed out in town. It's generally a terrible time environmentally. Indeed. And those ballot papers, there, I believe there are strict rules around the size of those ballot papers and the colours that are allowed to be used. It really is, you know, the election rules are, are very complicated. Now, let's let's imagine we've got those results the or the projection at 8pm. What can we expect to happen after that? Will we see candidates calling for... Other, you know, calling for their voters to vote for either Macron or Le Pen, for example, if it's those two 
Um, what happens next, basically? Yeah, well, I mean, throughout the night, you do get sort of updated results. So, I mean, this will be what people are watching, especially if it's very close. But we're probably not going to be sitting up all night with a pot of coffee and snacks watching as we would do in uh, in the UK or the US. Um, what you normally get on TV instead of, you know, sort of constant live results is just hours and hours of debate about what this all means and what this what will happen in the next round. Although, actually, I noticed that uh, TFA, which is the biggest TV channel, they said this year they're going to have a much shorter post-election thing and they're going to show the very silly and very classic French comedy Le Visiteur instead although I'm sure if there's a shock result they'll probably do a, yeah, a proper indeed. debate thing. Indeed I I remember the first round result last time I was coming out of the office you know very late at night and there'd been there'd been a bit of trouble in the neighbourhood I think the anti-capitalist and, and anarchist groups had gone through they were very unhappy at the, the idea that it was Macron versus Le Pen you know, a uh, far-right extremist versus who they, uh, a candidate who they labelled as just a banker, you know, a capitalist, Macron. And they'd literally trashed all the banks in the neighbourhood. They trashed the local Front Prix. I went through, the door was wide open, there was no one around, no police around. I remember seeing a bottle of whiskey up on the shelf thinking I could just go and help myself. So that. I didn't, of course, I just took a couple of bags of crisps for the kids. <laughs> um, I left the whiskey there. But are we expecting trouble again? You know, lots of people have been talking about the prospect of... of extremist or perhaps leftist extremist groups expressing anger at the the two candidates who are going to make it through? It's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility, certainly. I mean, there's been quite a lot of anger, not necessarily predictions of trouble, but anger of people saying that this election is a farce for various reasons, either because they felt Macron wasn't campaigning properly, that almost that it's be, just become such a foregone conclusion that they kind of feel that it's not been the proper democratic process. We've had some of the candidates, uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, for example, he's not really put it in those terms, but he's been sort of pushing the idea that if Macron's re-elected, it won't be a legitimate re-election. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see more trouble this time. Indeed, and we'll have to wait to see the reaction of those losing candidates, should we say, who they're going to call to vote. Will they call for this Front Republican, which is this idea of everybody voting against the extreme right in the second round? We'll have to see how that holds up in the days and hours even after the result comes through. Thanks, Emma. Now we're going to return to Normandy and bring back our political columnist, John Litchfield. Don't forget to visit the local.fr for all John's latest articles on the election. John, earlier you mentioned something that's a key element of any election race, especially as we head towards polling day, and that is momentum. Who has it in the race for the Elysee? Le Pen does have momentum, you could argue. You know, that's what's on in her favour. Last time it was... Macron had the momentum going into the second round. This time it seems to be her. The only thing I would say to somewhat qualify that, though, is that her momentum is mostly people who were going to vote far right anyway, but previously had emigrated to Eric Zemmour, who've come back to her. If you look at the combined far right vote, um, it's been around 31, 32%, big and miserable as that is, for months. And if you add them two together, now her on 21 uh, Zamora on around 10 now, uh, it's still 31, 32. So there's not been a kind of surge towards the far right in any way. There's been a surge towards her within the far right, which gives her this momentum. Is it real momentum or is it a kind of illusion of momentum? I think it is genuine momentum in a way, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, to win her the election. With two weeks to go after the first round or between the two rounds, things can still change. That momentum can still swing again. 
Yes, and, and I think in a way the country flirts with the idea of a Le Pen presidency and then lurches back, you know, and just the very fact that people are talking of Le Pen as a possible winner is going to sort of uh, concentrate many minds out there that possibly weren't going to vote because they you know, argue completely ridiculously, in my point of view, and quite sensible people argue that somehow Macron is as bad as Le Pen. You hear people saying that who, who really are too intelligent to make that argument. Uh, and yet they do. They sort of somehow argue that the Macron presidency has been playing footsie with the far right from the beginning. I really don't see that, and I don't see the evidence for it. There have been one or two things that have been done and, and said maybe that, that were, were mistaken, and I've written that myself in the past, but to suggest that Macron is anyway close to Le Pen is absurd. But there are people who, who have been saying that, maybe the prospect of a Le Pen presidency, however, however limited that might be, it will concentrate their minds and get them to come in, you know, reluctantly behind, behind Macron in the second round. The other thing that could change yet is, is what has been sending the polls sort of backwards and sideways and forwards the last two or three weeks is the war in Ukraine. I mean, you know, Le Pen has somehow managed to avoid responsibility for her long baggage as a not only a, a Putin sympathizer, but someone who's taken money in the past from essentially from the Russian state. Zamor has had all, all this sort of damage and blame for his uh, Putin baggage carrying and not so, you know, maybe that will begin to change as well. And the latest terrible scenes and, and pictures we've seen from Butcher in, in, in Ukraine uh, are going to change the story again, I think. I think there may be more sanctions. There may even be sanctions on oil and gas. Will that help Le Pen because it'll push the prices up again? Or will they? Will it bring people in behind Macron as the kind of the legitimate president, a father of the nation at the time of, of a time of real crisis? I noticed that the the petrol prices on the big totems and the petrol pumps around here in Normandy have gone down quite a long way, partly because of the government subsidy, partly because. Uh, fuel prices have reduced a bit in the last week or so. So as I think I said last week, I think that the those big totems on petrol stations are in a way as, as good a guide to where the thing is going as um, in the rural vote anyway, as, as opinion polls at the moment. John, let's just kind of project ourselves into the future and imagine that Marine Le Pen somehow or, you know, against the odds, um, won that second round. Edouard Philippe, the for, former prime minister, said... If she wins, believe me, things will be seriously different for the country. Her programme is dangerous. What would France be like under a Le Pen presidency? Do we know? We don't know. We've never, you know, it would be the first time the far right was in power in France since uh, 1944 when, when Pétain was forced out by the Allies' invasion of, of, of Normandy. So you'll be into completely uncharted territory. The first thing to say is that she might, if she did become president, which is, as we were saying, just imaginable now, she would then have to win a majority in Parliament to be able to do anything very much. And um, Macron getting a majority in the Parliament this time would be difficult. Her getting a majority in Parliament, but I think we've been close to impossible. So she would have to try and form some sort of alliance with the right, uh, the centre-right to, to, to govern. And that might enormously soften some of the sort of extraordinary things she's planning to do what are those? Well, I mean, her, her economic program is completely crazy, frankly. I mean, it's extraordinary that she gets away with it without people pointing this out. She's talking about increasing spending, cutting taxes and reducing the, the deficit. How, how does all that happen? It happens by taking 16 billion euros a, a, a year away from the social benefits going, going to foreigners. Well, there aren't 16 billion euros a year going to, to foreigners. It's more like 4, million, 4 billion. So there's a huge gap there from the start. She says she isn't going to leave the EU, but she's going to disobey the EU. She's not going to obey rules she doesn't like. She's not going to pay the amount of money that France is supposed to pay into the EU budget. 
which would effectively mean a kind of Frexit without, without its name. So you would have a complete disruption of, of the whole status quo of not only France, uh, of Europe. It would be worse, in my opinion, potentially. It would be more disastrous for France than Brexit has been for Britain or Trump was for, for the United States. Um, but it all depends on whether she gets some kind of working majority in the parliament, which might be difficult. But even then, that would mean the country would just be kind of drifting stuck, potentially for four or five years. In terms of Macron's approach to Le Pen, he had his big rally at the weekend. He referred to the far right. He mentioned the far right, the threat. He didn't name who he was talking about. Is it a case for Macron to use a kind of football analogy that he's taking it kind of one match at a time? He'll get to the second round, hopefully, and then he will focus all his attention on kind of attacking Le Pen and, and revealing what he thinks are her weaknesses and like the economic policies that you've talked about, which don't make sense. I think Macron is a bit sort of torn at the moment between wanting to present a programme which he can then say, this is what you voted for, therefore I'm now going to push it through and therefore have a kind of constructive and effective, as he would say, second term, or to seem to win again simply because you're not the far right, which is what many people accused him of last time. There was this young man no one ever heard of, but we had to vote for him because the alternative was Le Pen. If he seems to be re-elected just again, because only because the alternative was Le Pen, he'll be president, obviously, but it's going to make what's already a pretty tough five years ahead even harder for him. So he wants to maintain, I think, an element of positivity, optimism. This is what we're doing. We've had some success. We're pushing ahead with this. To seem to sort of win on the basis of his program, not simply because he isn't Le Pen. But in the end of the day, he was now having to use the I am not Le Pen arguments quite strongly, stronger than he perhaps would have wanted to a couple of weeks ago. Don't forget, if you'd like to be able to read John's weekly analysis on France and all our articles, you can join now at a discount price by visiting www.thelocal.fr slash podcast offer. Finally, before we leave you, we're going to run through some French phrases and words that have come up in the election race this week. Emma, do you want to start us off with this word that Macron uttered at his campaign rally that I'm finding hard to pronounce? Yes, this would be rabougrissement. It's, he was talking about le grand rabougrissement de la France, um, which is a bit of a mouthful. It's not a particularly common phrase, we should, uh, we should say. This is typical Macron, isn't it, to come up with a phrase that no one's heard of? He does, he does like his obscure phrases. In fact, during the rally, I saw notice one of the French journalists just tweeted, and good luck to all the foreign correspondents who have to try and translate this. So we'll give it a go. Basically, it means stunted or decayed. It's most usually used for plants. If a plant is stunted either by bad weather or by disease and it's not growing properly. So I think really what Macron was trying to say is that the vision of the far right, which is to try and look back into the past rather than the future, to cut off France from Europe and the rest of the world, would be stunting France, whereas his vision would be for France to grow and to prosper. So I think that's basically what he was trying to say in his slightly obscure phrase. Thanks for that, Emma. Yeah, it really was a tough one to pronounce. And you've picked up another couple of expressions. Um, Mon cul, c'est du poulet. Can you explain? Please explain this one. Yeah, it means my ass is a chicken. And I put it in there because it's the classic French phrase for I don't believe you. And I think I thought it would be particularly useful this week as people come up with their increasingly mad predictions and hot takes or whatever. It's the French equivalent of saying, yeah, right. But yeah, you can you can use the shortened version, which is just more like, ah, bawe, mongoul. Yeah, yeah, my ass. But I like the, the full version. My ass, it is a chicken. It is a chicken. Okay. And what about coup de mou? 
this phrase meaning slacking off, sluggishness, fatigue. Why have we picked this one out this week? Well, it's the the challenge that candidates face at this stage in the campaign, both for them, you know, they're pretty much knackered because they've been campaigning, but also it's the challenge of sort of getting their supporters out, getting over the sort of election fatigue and getting people fired up and voting and campaigning. And finally, Emma, I've picked out this one, Ozern, which is a slightly, slightly jokey one that means to the ballot box, which is a kind of rallying call for French people to vote. It is from the Marseillaise, is that right? Ozam citoyenne, the line from the French national anthem. It really is a kind of call out for voters to turn out, please, and vote. And that's your lot for this week. Thanks again, Emma. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. All Things Being Well will be back on Monday next week, a day earlier than usual, when we'll run through the results of the first round of the election and look ahead to the second round. We hope you can join us. Thanks for listening.